Welcome to the Backyard Chat Podcast, where we equip parents to take in God's Word and live it out in their everyday life. So we are back for part two with Jerry Clark. We're talking about his book, Blind Spots in Relationships. What I don't know, I don't know about myself. And in today's episode, we want to talk with Jerry about kids and parenting and how we can build resilience in our relationships with our kids and to help our kids build resilience so that in their future relationships, they have it all together. And if you missed the prior episode, then you're going to want to listen to that when you get a chance. But we want you to know that Jerry is a licensed professional counselor, and he has a thriving practice and has just been a huge help to lots of people, especially to families. So this month, we've been talking all about resilience at church and helping our families understand how to build resilience in our kids, that it's through the ups and downs of life that we really build their character. And they're not just stuck in a corner crying and throwing temper tantrums when all the bad things happen, because we certainly don't want them to be a 35-year-old professional somewhere behaving the same way. So I loved in your book how you talked about kids are fragile but resilient. Talk to us about that. As you know, children, it's easy to break their spirit. It's easy to knock them down emotionally, cause them to cry and not feel good about themselves. You know, it's a real tough balance between discipline and letting things go. And discipline to me is to teach and mold. It's not to punish. Punishment means to hurt. Mm -hmm. But discipline is teaching and molding. And that's what I think healthy families do. They teach and mold as opposed to punish. But kids are fragile, and we just have to read between the lines as we're talking to them to know whether or not what we're saying is getting through, and we have to be emotionally mature in order to do that. But the resilient side of that is uh, kids can bounce back from a lot of things, and I see a lot of kids who suffer a lot of adversity in the home but still have the strength and courage to, to flourish and, and to know how to navigate through the landmines of the family. Mm-hmm. And you see kids come out of families that are pretty chaotic who are very well on their way to be productive citizens. You see kids on the other side of that who are out of families who are chaotic, who are stunted in their emotional intelligence or emotional maturity and don't get a chance to flourish in life. Every child is so individual, so unique, And all parents are unique. And it's just a matter of, first of all, I think in order to raise a resilient child, you have to be a resilient parent. You have to be an emotionally mature parent. And you have to have a great sense of spirit about yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can teach and mold as opposed to just punish. Yeah, we say that a lot, that your kids watch you and they Mm -hmm. see what you do and they act accordingly. I'll never forget being little and a tornado was headed our way. And my brother and I were very young, and we couldn't read to know that that was our county and whatever on the TV, but we heard the siren sound, and we saw the TV blinking, and my mom said, don't worry, it's it's not coming our way. And I was really worried, and she said, just look at Mommy, and if you see me panic, you'll know that it's scary. But if you see me and Mommy's good, then we're good. Well, about five minutes later, the sirens went off. We heard the whirling, and her face turned to panic, and then I panicked, and we all ran to the closet. But for years, I always thought that, like, I looked to my mom and to my dad to see how were they responding. Are they scared? Then I don't have to be scared. Are they this? I would act however they were acting, and 
So mm-hmm. I think as parents, that's a huge responsibility mm-hmm. that we have to respond to situations and model that for our children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point, Melissa. You know, kids do uh, look to us for how they should act. And if we're anxious, if we're out of control, they can follow that same path, thinking that's the right way to go because these are my leaders. Here's mm-hmm. my rock, and this is what they do. Yeah. So I'll do it. We create a sense of normalcy for we our did. kids within our we home. Did. and. I loved how you talked about the spirit of the family. We always talk about creating a rhythm in your home, but the way you worded that, the spirit of the family, talk to us about why you included that in the book. You know, I think so many families are just chaotic, and it's okay to tease, it's okay to scream and yell, it's okay for parents to do things they don't expect the children to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, if we don't have a guide, then anything goes. And so to have an established spirit of the family, I think, keeps everyone focused in the right direction. Mm -hmm. The spirit of the family comes from soccer, and there's a law in soccer that's an advantage law. If a person who's headed for the goal and is about to score and you foul them, it would be a disadvantage to call a penalty. And so you let them go. The spirit of the game says, let them go go. and, and see if they can score. And the spirit of the family says, Here's your direction. Mm-hmm. It can be love. It can be respect. It can be honor. It can be anything. The fruit of the Spirit, any of those would be good things to establish. And some of the families I talk to even put up little plaques that the mm-hmm. Spirit of our family is I love uh, that. respect. Mm-hmm. And then if someone's being disrespectful, it's easier to call them back to the Spirit of the family. Let's read this together. Respect. Yeah, so much of that really is set, even when our kids are, you know, young. I remember getting all the kids when they were preschoolers, all three of them were in preschool at the same time, and getting them out of the door in the morning was pretty chaotic, just, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. shoes and lunches and all the things. And one day I said, hey, it's time to go to school. And Kate stood up and she said, everybody, get your stuff and move it, move it. And when she did that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what I do to them every day, like a little drill sergeant. And right then and there, it really made me decide I needed to change the spirit of the home, the mm-hmm. spirit of our family. Mm-hmm. And I decided I'm not going to raise my voice at my children anymore when I give instructions. And I, it literally, for me, was just a decision that I made, and it was so enforced. We were on a, a mission trip with several moms and their daughters or dads and their sons, and Emma was with me, and we had gotten to know some other people during the week. and. One of the moms was really frustrated with her teenage daughter that was the same age as Emma at the time. And she said, Emma is so respectful for you. How do you get her to do that? And what I thought was so funny is the mom had literally yelled at the kid the whole entire trip. And I thought, I wanted to say so bad. Well, I don't yell at her for one thing because the kid would yell back. And she's like, she's so disrespectful. She keeps yelling at me. And I was like, but you yell at her? Like to her, that's probably a discussion. It's just a discussion. How would she know not to yell if you yell at her all the time? Exactly. So, exactly. That is so funny. And in here you say the spirit of the family is usually undeclared, but is always present. Mm. And I think that is so true. I know my siblings and I have sat around before, and after we lost my dad, we we talked about how we never argued growing up. And even as adults, we never argue. We get along so well. Our family is just different. And not too long ago, we were all gathering with my mom and everything, talking about what was it about our family? It was so different. I feel like I, I grew up in this bubble where we just got along, and it was so full of love, and everything is sunshine and rainbows. And I don't even know how to put words to it, but when I read that statement, I thought, 
That's exactly right. I don't know what word we would put to it. It was intentional on my parents' part, but it was just the way that we were. It was just the way that they loved us and encouraged us and and led us to a relationship with Jesus that made the spirit of our family so unique that it looked different than others. Mm-hmm. And then we've taken that as adults into our families that we've created. And I hope that we have that same spirit within our home. I don't even know how you'd put a word to it, but the spirit of the family is absolutely there. It's critical. And how we can be intentional to make that something so beautiful for our kids. And how you get to choose it. It's not like mm-hmm. the spirit of the family gets, That's right. gets thrust upon you. I mean, it's like, well, this is just the spirit of our family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really mm-hmm. do get to choose yes. what you want your family to look like mm-hmm. and be known for. Yeah. And when you have the whole family involved in choosing mm-hmm. what the spirit of the family is going to be, then everybody is subscribing to it. Yes. Because they had input. Mm-hmm. And I think for our families listening today, it's not too late to change. If you're listening going, oh, I don't know if the spirit of my family is something I really want to just brag about today, then it's it's never too late to choose a different path and to recreate that sweet spirit in your home, for sure. It is never too late Mm -hmm. to change, to do anything differently, especially those things that are not working. Yes. Another thing that you brought up in your book that I thought was good that I know happens in homes every day. You talk about the triangulation mm-hmm. and parenting and, and mm-hmm. disciplining your kids. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like and, and or how it should look maybe? Yeah. Well, it's so inevitable in most families for one parent to be more lenient than the other. And one of the things I've noticed when one parent's lenient, the other parent gets a little stronger. And the stronger that parent gets, the more lenient the other one gets. Mm-hmm. And And it just continues to play until it gets so lopsided that neither are effective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I prescribe is if mom or dad is talking to the kids or one child and they're doing something that the other one does not agree with or would say something about, I invite them to come in and stand next to that person in the most innocuous way that they can, not looking at anybody, just standing there, presenting themselves alongside the other parent. And it does two things. One, it shows the kids that the parents are together. Yes. And when the parents are together, I can't split them. Uh And it shows the other parent that they're standing with them. They're not going to disagree. If they're going to disagree, it's going to be later in private. And not to prove the other person wrong, but to share each other's side of the story, to see what they can do to do the best for the kids. Not the best for the parent, but the best Mm -hmm. for the kids. It's so difficult because we're all raised differently and and we feel like we need to parent differently. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I say God gave us a mom and a dad because we need both the instructions from both. We need the experience of both to make us whole kids or whole people, not just one parent. So I like the idea of just trying to, not trying, but being as together as they can in front of the children. Oh, that's good. And then having disagreements outside the children's hearing. I mentioned the coalition here, and that a lot of times I see one parent and the children or a couple of children in coalition against the other mm-hmm. parent. And it's, it is horribly un, unhealthy because, you know, you talked about being cut from the herd. You know, when there's a coalition against one, another person, you know, they're cut from the herd and they're battling to get back in the herd, and it just creates more chaos than anything. So the coalition... Uh, it's essential that it be between the parents mm-hmm. and and the kids run around on the outside, but nothing gets in between the parents to split them. Because when parents get split, 
the kids can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. The parents go away bickering, and the kids like, right. I'm going to go do what I wanted to do. They mm-hmm. weren't. They said I couldn't, but I'm going to get to do it. And that's not what's best for the children. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I've noticed when it's not a parental coalition, when it's a parent and a child against another parent or parent and children or any other type of coalition in the family, that if that doesn't get rectified soon, it is a recipe for divorce really it quickly. Is, or for, no I mean, because now you're, you feel like a stranger in your own home and it's like you feel ganged up on your home now becomes sure. a place of terror. You feel terrorized in your own home instead of it being a safe place where there's love and assurance. And, and most people can't and won't tolerate that for a long sense of time before it just creates a, this resentment that they move away from the rest of the family. Without a doubt. Terror is a good word. Mm-hmm. Man, and I think, too, a lot of times Chris and I will have a discussion before we talk to the kids about the issue to try to get on the same page so that we can support each other. But sometimes a moment hits and one parent jumps into action. So I loved how you said you just go stand beside them. If you haven't had a chance to discuss how you're going to approach the discipline for the issue to just show support by standing there. And if you need to talk about it afterwards and say, hey, why are you so hard on him for that? You can do that later. I think that's key because sometimes like our emotions kick in and we want to handle it right then. And sometimes there is a need to handle it right away. Then just to show support by just joining them and saying, hey, we're together. We're a united front. And I think that's so important. That's a good thing to keep in mind. The other thing, I think if you're emotionally aware enough, when the other person comes to stand beside you, that should be your clue. You're cute to chill out. Uh-oh, we're about to have to have a conversation after this yes. this little parenting episode. So it should be your clue that you're either too lenient right now or too, or too forceful or too strict in a moment. Well, so. and I remember one time when Taylor was little and he did something and, and I told him, you better wait till daddy gets home. And later Chris told me, he said, please don't say that to him. And I said, well, I knew you wouldn't play around. And he said, yeah, but that makes me look like the bad guy. So please don't say that. I don't want him to ever Mm -hmm. be fearful of me coming home. Mm -hmm. And it just hurt me. I could not even believe. I never thought about it in that way, but that was a huge deal. And so I think that's another way to show a united front to your kids is to not pin one pair. Wait till you better, you know, wait till mommy gets home and finds out. Or you better hope daddy doesn't see like. Now, when my kids say something like that to one or the other, I'll say, hey, daddy and I are on the same page on this, or you shouldn't be afraid of daddy. You should be afraid of us together, that kind of thing, just to kind of make a joke of it. Exactly the way it should be done. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, wait till the other parent gets home, what you're doing is saying, I can't be in charge here, but someone else can. And so you give up your authority. Oh, that's good, too. I didn't think about it like that. And don't you think, too, it says... Either I don't know how to handle this or I don't care enough to handle it. I mean, it depending on the child, and each child might hear it differently. I can't be bothered with handling you right now. Sure. You're not even important enough for me to handle. It. Yeah, you're not worth it. So mm. just depending on Good. the soundtrack that's already in their mind, they might hear many different things, none of which are helpful in the moment. So, mm-hmm. Do you have any helpful tips, too, for split families, like for a stepmom and stepdad, that mm. maybe they don't want to be the first one to jump in and take initiative on the discipline? What's a good way for them to approach that with their kids? Great question. It is, because mm-hmm. blending families mm-hmm. is no joke. It's mm-hmm. probably one of the so hardest you, things people will do. I say blended families can be stronger than nuclear families if the parents are emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. The non-biological parent can see things that the biological parent cannot see. Mm-hmm. Oh. And if they can get that message across, you know, they're talking back to you. No, I don't think they are. Well, you know, it's pretty obvious they're talking back to you. And if that message can be gotten across, then the kids get the kind of discipline or parenting or teaching that they need that it's not okay to talk back. 
But if the non-biological parent tries to offer that information and it falls on deaf ears, then then Mm -hmm. the chaos begins to churn. And that's when the separation begins. Wow. But I say I've seen the blended families much stronger in some cases because, you know, I ask them to to do birthdays differently. How do you guys want to celebrate birthdays? How do you want to celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and Step Parents Day? And do you guys, you know, you guys need to cook one day a month and you know, anything that you can blend that family into something totally different because they they bring their customs and their ideas from other families. And then they if they don't work together to blend that, then it causes fraction. Mm-hmm. No, that's huge. I know when my brother remarried, he sat down with the kids and he said, now we're, we're going to have different last names, but we're still a family. And so we're going to come up with a new family name just for the seven of us. Cool. And the kids named them the Sasquatch Seven. But I thought that was such a great way for him to say, hey, look, we may come from different families and we have different names, but together, this is who we are and this is how we're going to operate. And Fantastic. That's a great way, I think, to help blend a family, too. Because I think parenting with someone that is not the biological parent has got to be tough for both sides. Sure. But another thing I see that's very important is you may not be the biological parent, but you must be a parent in the household. Mm-hmm. You must have authority and you must be able to direct and guide and take care of things as they come up instead of waiting for the biological parent to come do things. Otherwise, the kids begin to get in charge. And once you invert the hierarchy of the family where the children are in charge, good luck, or one child is in charge. But it happens a lot. I see it way too much. That's good. What I see in blended families a lot is that you do get the coalition sometimes. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, mom and her children and dad and his biological children. Mm -hmm. And um it's devastating when you see that happen because it's it, yeah. uh, it's such a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But I love the concept that you provided that if the adults are emotionally mature enough, that it can be a really great expression of what it means to come together in unity mm-hmm. and to be able to, to grow forward. And so I love that very much. Right. So if a family was only going to do one thing today, what's the one thing that's most important to start them toward being a family that is resilient, that is emotionally healthy, and that is growing toward the place God intended them to be? I say they would learn to communicate. One of the things that I see that most families struggle with, and couples, and you know, children in the family struggle with how to communicate. There was a, a woman that came in my office, it's been many years ago, and she said, Jerry, I don't know what to do. I have a 15-year-old daughter. I know who's smoking dope. I know who's smoking cigarettes. I know who cheats on their test. I know who sneaks out at night. I know whose parents are fighting, and I don't know what to do with this. And I'm just sitting there like, and I said, ma'am, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, keep it up. Because their child would go to them with that information that is, a lot of parents would um, not react well to that. And I'll tell you about one I know well. (laughs) What happened after, after she left, I began to think about my oldest son, had he come to me at 15 and said, Dad, my friend's smoking cigarettes, what I fear is I would have said, I better not catch you smoking cigarettes. I better not even catch you with a lighter or matches or I'll light you up. And I would, <laughs> and I would have said, and you can't hang around with them anymore. Yeah. That friendship is over. And, We're you know, cutting them from the herd. You're cutting them from the herd now. <laughs> yeah. And it's embarrassing to say that, but I'm, I'm really afraid that's what I would have said. Mm-hmm. And and I look back at that, and I would, and I ask myself, how how would he ever come and tell me anything mm-hmm. that was critical for me to know or for him to get help with? 
Yeah. And and so I we say freak out on the inside, but not on the outside. I like that. So that your kids will know yeah. that you are approachable. Exactly. Jerry, I love the way this conversation is going. I really wished I would have asked that question first. Hey, I tell you what, let's just keep this conversation going. We'll put it all together in an additional episode with bonus content. I love that idea. Join us next week as we continue this conversation with Jerry Clark so that we can all learn great communication strategies to build resilience in our families. If you don't want to miss a single episode of the Backyard Chat podcast, be sure to follow the show in your Apple podcast app by clicking on the three dots in the top right corner of your screen. And if you're feeling really adventurous, click on the arrow to share the show with all your friends. We'll be back next week and And we we can't can't wait wait to chat with you. you.